I'm going to ask you this morning to turn to an Old Testament book. I've, I've preached from this passage before, but I want to share something about it again with you. And that passage is in the third chapter of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. That's kind of a, a mouth full just pronouncing the word. But if you'd turn there, we're going to notice just one verse out of the book of Habakkuk, and that's verse 2. And I want to share something that I think that even though took place uh, probably a little over uh, 2,500 years ago, I think can be applied uh, to what we need to look at today as we think about uh, the subject of revival. Revival. So let's notice Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. I'll let give you just a little bit of time to get there. I hear the pages rattling, so I know you're looking. And uh, once you get there, we're going to notice uh, just one verse out of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. And if you would, let's go ahead and stand out of reverence and respect for God's holy and inspired word. Habakkuk chapter 3, and let's notice verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. When's the last time we came to church and we heard something and was afraid? I mean, we don't want to go to church and hear something that might make us afraid, right? But Habakkuk says, O Lord, I heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath Remember mercy. Let's once again bow before our Lord. Father, we come before you this morning knowing that the times that we live in are times when people are just seemingly falling away from what we need to be holding on to. And Father, as I look at your word and, and look down through history, it's in those times of spiritual darkness that you've always moved to bring about revival and awakening. And Father, we haven't seen a real awakening in this country now in over a hundred years. And I just pray that it might start right here at this little church and that your work might just branch out, that we might see a great sweeping move of the Holy Spirit in this country again. And Father, we need you today to raise up some great men and women to lead this great revival. Father, in years past, you've raised up men like Moody, Finney. You raised up Billy Grahams and Billy Sundays. And Father, we just need you to do that again. And Lord, I realize that at my age that it's not going to be me, but Lord, I pray that you'd raise up some young men, some young women with a flaming passion, within a flaming fire for you, that you could raise up to call this country back to you. Lord, I pray that you'd begin it today as you instill in us a great burden to pray and a great burden to seek your face. And Father, I pray that you'd just pour your spirit out upon us as that takes place. And we'll thank you for what you do, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a lot of folks have different ideas when it comes to the subject of revival. 
To some, revival is a specific time and a specific place. I can remember the first little church that I pastored in the piney woods of East Texas. We had what was called revival time every year. On the fourth Sunday of July, every year, we had revival whether we needed it or not. That was the idea. And during that revival, every year on the fourth Sunday of July, we got a special speaker. Most of the time, our special evangelist came from the city of Hugh Springs. And if we didn't get the pastor of the first church at Hugh Springs, we went out to Veal Switch and we got the pastor at the Veal Switch Baptist Church. And every once in a while, when we were really very fortunate, we even had a special singer come in. And we would have special singing and special preaching. And the one thing we always had is we always had plenty of food at the revival. You know, if Baptists haven't ate, they haven't met. Isn't that true? Come on, y'all are, wake up. But I, but I would notice something during those revival times of, of this concept. Sometimes we saw God move in a great way. The first revival that we had at that little church, we had four precious souls come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that church hadn't had a single person saved in the last five years of its existence. And so that was a really an exciting and a marvelous time in that little country church there. And at the close of the revival, we went down to the creek to baptize. Y'all are looking at me like I'm funny. We didn't have a baptistry in our little church there. And in that little church that, that I first started preaching at the first Sunday, we had 25 in Sunday school. We went out to baptize and we had almost 80 people at the creek because they hadn't had a baptism in five years. And it rained right after we got through. Isn't that a fitting way to have a baptism? Some of y'all just wish it would rain baptism or not, right? But I would notice that the next year, we didn't see God move quite in the same way. And you know, if our concept of revival is just a week of preaching, and if our concept of revival is maybe having a special speaker or a special evangelist, what may happen is some years we may see a great move of God and some years we may not see that move of God. But I noticed something about that little church and I've noticed it ever since. Sometimes we can have a week of services and people get excited and they get kind of revived and within a month or two, we need it again because we've slipped right back to the same way we were before. But you know, that concept of revival is probably the normal concept that most folks have today when we talk about revival in a week of services, hopefully people get excited, maybe we see a few people saved. But you know, real revival takes place when God's people turn back to God with a repentant heart. One of the things that takes place in revival when God's people turn back to God with a repentant heart is that we experience His cleansing and we experience His forgiveness. You know, one of the things that takes place when God's people turn back to God and they experience His cleansing and they experience His forgiveness is the fact that we're released from guilt. And folks, when people are released from the bondage of guilt, you know what takes place? When people are released from the bondage of guilt, there's joy that takes place. 
There's a happiness that takes place. When you know that you've really been forgiven and when you know you've really been cleansed from sin, my dear friends, there's just a joy unspeakable and full of glory that takes place. And when that takes place, you will find a church that is filled with praise. That's why the book of Psalms chapter 40 says, He's put a new song in my heart. You know, down through the centuries, Baptist folks have been a singing people. Have you ever noticed that? Now, we sing off-key. And sometimes we don't sing it musically like it ought to be. You really want to mess a music major up? Bring him into a Baptist church during a song service. Come on, some of y'all folks look like... But when folks are forgiven of sin and when folks are, are cleansed of sin and when that burden of guilt has been lifted up from them, my dear friends, you can't help but have a song on your hearts. And, and that's what takes place during revival time. And when God's people turn back to Him with a repentant heart, They'll be an obedient people, seeking to please the one who's forgiven them, seeking to please the one who's cleansed them, seeking to please the one who's saved them from their sin. My dear friends, when God speaks to a church in revival, you'll see a people get excited about pleasing God. And then God uses that revived people to impact a lost world. Folks, you know how to see people saved? Get God's people right and you'll see people get saved. I know that in our modern day times we don't do this, but how many of you older folks can remember when we didn't have revivals, we had what was called protracted meetings? Anybody? Nobody remembers that. Years ago, Baptist folks used to have what's called a protracted meeting. The first week, I'm going to scare you now. The first week, the preacher preached to God's people. And that first week he preached on repentance and he preached on rededication and he preached on revival. And that first week, the people of God got right. The second week, I know I was going to scare you because there's two weeks of this. The second week, they had evangelistic meetings where the preacher preached on folks getting saved and the preacher preached, preached, that, preached on folks coming to, to know Jesus as Savior. And the first week, they didn't see a lot of folks get saved, but after the people of God got right that first week, the second week, they saw folks get saved by, the, by literally hundreds. That first little church I pastored, they had a picture on the wall of 76 people that got saved in one revival meeting. Now, don't we want to see that happen again? Wouldn't that be neat? Well, I wanted to share something with you about revival this morning, and I'm going to finish it tonight because I, I don't want you to finish before I do, okay? First of all, revival always takes place when the spiritual life of God's people is at a low ebb. That's why we need revival, isn't it? Hmm? How many of you have ever needed physical revival? When I, when I lived in, in Louisiana, I used to mow my yard. And, and I mowed my yard with a push mower and I had an acre of ground to mow. And I would get out there and, and I would just have a great time and I would always mow in the middle of the afternoon for some reason. That's the only way I had my best time. And, and about halfway through it, you know what would happen? 
My shirt would be wringing wet with sweat because in Louisiana when the humidity gets up to about 80% and the temperature is about 95 degrees, you're going to sweat. And so I would sweat everything out and I would do this kind. And I would go in and I'd get something to drink and I'd drink three or four bottles of water and I'd be revived. You know what that means? Go out and go at it again. You know, spiritually, a lot of people need revival. And they need revival because spiritually, they're at their lowest ebb. They used to be excited about serving God. They used to be excited about their relationship with God. They used to be excited about what God was doing in the world. But now it's just kind of drained at the lowest ebb. And you know that scene in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk wasn't writing to lost people. Habakkuk was writing to save people. He was writing to people who claimed to be God's people. And yet when you open the book, you find that God's people, God's very people who were claiming His name, were ignoring His law. You name the commandment, and they were breaking it in Habakkuk's day. You know, we, we have the commandments of God. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They were evidently not loving God because you named the commandment and they were breaking it. And instead of living in peace due to the blessings of God being over the land, Habakkuk said violence was over the land. Strife and contention were the normal experience. And even though they knew God's law, they were openly worshiping the idols of their day with all of the sexually immoral practices associated with it. Folks, these people were not heathens. They were people who claimed to know God. But you know, true believers who lived in Israel, true believers, they were just a fraction of the land. And the true believers, as they saw everything going on, they were discouraged in their faith. As they saw the hypocritical people, as they saw the ungodly people. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk was so grieved by what he saw going on in the land, he said, Lord, I know these people claim to know you, but they're so hypocritical and they're so out of the will of God. God, I just wish you had come down from heaven and judge what you see going on. God, where are you at? How can you allow all of this to take place? You know, if there was a group of people that needed God to move in their midst, it was this people. This was a dark time that called for revival. And that's why Habakkuk prayed, Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. And you know, you think about something I, I just want to share with you. I know that we as God's people today point out all of the things that are going on in the world that, that, that call for, for God's judgment. Folks, if you're really close to God, if you really have a burden for the work of God, abortion has to be something that burdens your heart. Did you realize that we've aborted, we've aborted almost ten times as many babies as Jews that were killed in the Holocaust? And we call Hitler a bad guy, right? If, if you're a, a person that, that loves the Lord and you have a burden for God's people, you have to be burdened for the perversion that's taking place in the family today. God says that the family should be one man married to one woman and they love each other and have kids and raise those kids in a loving environment. Amen? He never said that it should be one man and one man or one woman and one woman. 
That has to burden folks when we see how that God's people are being put down so that perversion can be uplifted today. It has to burden the people of God when we see how that drug abuse and alcohol abuse is rampant throughout our society and promiscuity is rampant throughout our society. But listen to me. The world lost its way because the church quit being what God called us to be. Now, that didn't get an amen, did it? The world lost its way, folks, because we quit being the salt of the earth. Didn't Jesus say you're the salt of the earth? But if the salt has lost its savor, what's it good for? Jesus said it's good for nothing but to be trampled under the foot of men. Now listen. The world is like it is today because we haven't had convictions as a church and we haven't stood by those convictions to the point that we've irritated the world. Have you ever had salt on you, thrown on you? One of the, you know, did you know that salt can be very irritating? Have you heard somebody say they've rubbed salt into the wound? When I went to camp one year, and the kids at camp can be very, very, uh, they can, they can really be creative in the way they abuse their counselor. I was on the rules committee that year and I had to go out with a flashlight, make sure all the kids were in the camp, make sure they were all where they're supposed to be. And I came in and it was hot. We didn't have air conditioning at Daniel Springs in those years, if you've ever been down to Daniel Springs. And you know that what we did is they, they put those kids in cinder block huts with windows in the middle of July in East Texas. It is hot. So I came in stripped off my clothing and jumped in my bed. And you know what those kids had done to my bed? They had salted my bed. And you're hot and you're sweaty and you jump in that bed and you roll around and it is scratchy and it is irritating. And before it was over, I was irritated with those kids. Did you know, Jesus said you're to be the salt of the earth. And when He said you're to be the salt of the earth, I think one of the things that Jesus was trying to, to get us to see is that we're to have such convictions that aren't holy and righteous and biblical convictions ought to be such that maybe they irritate the lost world around us. You know, the world has lost its way. Because we quit being the conscience of the world. Now listen to me. While we have been silent, trying to fit in, while we have been silent, trying not to, 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 to offend anybody around us, the world has pushed their standards and they haven't been worried about offending us. Come on. They have pushed, they have pushed, they have pushed. And the only people today that they are not tolerant of are Christian people. You know, I hear about, we need to be tolerant. Great, when are you going to be tolerant of the views of the Christian? They're not. And we have compromised just to get along. It was stated at the funeral yesterday about Mike's mother that if she saw something she didn't like, she'd call the television station or the radio station or, and she'd let them know what she thought. You know, I wonder what would happen if the, quote, silent majority rose up and decided not to be silent anymore. 
Hmm? Now, folks, listen. The problem is, as our world has taken a downhill plunge towards judgment, they've had even less respect for God's people than they would have had had we stood up and been counted. I think, secondly, the world has taken its plunge. The world is like it is today because we haven't lived the abundant life to make this world thirsty for Jesus, the living water. Have you ever been thirsty? How many of you have ever been thirsty? Last year, I went out with the kids and uh, during the missions thing, and we mowed yards, didn't we, Cale? And, and we, we, we finished up at this one big old house out back towards sundown, and, and we were mowing yards, and as we were mowing yards, I, I think it was Princess Leah that came up and said, well, Mike, here's, here's a thing of water. And she gave me some water. And, and, you know, I'm not a big, big water drinker. I'd a lot rather drink Diet Dr. Pepper, wouldn't you? Huh? No. But, man, I, I chug a look at that because I was thirsty. See, folks, when you get thirsty, you want something that satisfies the thirst, do we not? And the Bible teaches that what we need to be doing is living in such a way that we make this world thirsty and we make this world desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, we're living in a world that is joyless. We're living in a world that, that is full of danger and full of discouragement and full of depression. And, and what people need to see is that they need to see in a Christian that the joy of the Lord is our strength. <laughs> Have you ever went to church? Church is one of the most joyless times of the week. Let's be honest, isn't it? The favorite verse of most believers when they come to church is he that endures unto the end shall be saved. I mean, we don't sing with joy anymore, do we? Just look around at folks when they're in our song services today. Or, or well, next week even. We don't sing with joy. We, we, we sing like, uh, you know... Brother Mike, yesterday one of them guys said, you know, this isn't a funeral song. I said, in the Baptist church it is. They said, this is an invitation song we're supposed to sing. I said, you haven't been to Baptist church. All of our songs are funeral songs, the way we sing them sometimes. See, you all look like you're at the funeral now. I mean, right? <laughs> but yet, we're to live in such a way that people see the joy of the Lord. We ought to have an enthusiasm when we come to church to worship our risen Savior. We ought to live in such a way that people see our risen Savior. I know that somebody once said to me, Brother Mike, you just joke around too much. Well, when you're happy, you ought to joke around a little bit, don't you think? Huh? Instead of seeing joy in the average believer's life, most of what non-believers see is they see a very critical and unforgiving people. And why should the lost embrace something that's going to make them miserable? Folks, listen. The world's not looking for something to make them miserable. They've got that already. They're looking for something to make them joyful. And we ought to be living in such a way that they see Jesus and realize that He can make them joyful. Folks, these are dark times for the world. And they're dark times for the world. Because they're dark times for the church. They're dark times for the church.
Now, I want you to just notice how God moves to bring revival. Would you agree that most of our churches need revival? Would you agree that the world today needs to see a revived church? Well, how's it happen? Very simple. God moves to bring about revival by laying on His people's hearts a burden to pray. Did you realize that every revival recorded in Scripture Every revival recorded in history started as God's people got serious about prayer. What happened after the saints of God? We're going to look at this tonight. But what happened after the saints of God in Acts chapter 1 prayed for 10 days? The Holy Spirit fell. They were all in one accord and 3,000 people got saved. There was only 120 in that upper room, but they met for 10 days in prayer and they got united and 3,000 people got saved. Can you imagine what would happen today if God's people would pray? You come down, you see that America's second awakening. You know how it started? They're a group of college kids and they started a club. You know what their club was called? The ACLU would love this one. They were called the Holy Club. They'd be run off college campuses today, wouldn't they? And yet they began to pray. And as they began to pray, the Holy Spirit began to fall. And God began to raise up some great evangelists. And as a result of that, it swept throughout the entire United States. All because one group of college kids got together and began to pray and claim God's promises. And God blessed the Great Wales Revival began as Evan Roberts and others began to meet and began to pray. And as God's people began to pray, God raised up some great evangelists to lead people into the kingdom of God. You know, we need to pray for the same today. We don't see evangelists today like we used to. We need to be praying that God would raise up a Charles Finney or a Dwight L. Moody or a Billy Sunday or another Billy Graham. Wouldn't that be neat to have some folks like that? Wouldn't it be wonderful that you could turn on your television set and see somebody on TV that you knew was filled with the Holy Spirit that really loved the Lord and was preaching out of the power of God and seeing people saved and not just trying to pat his pocket? Come on, wake up. Be great. But the key is, folks, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Folks, we need to realize you can't organize God. We've tried to organize revivals and we've tried to program revivals. The way to have revivals is to pray. And as we pray, God will move to bring revival through anointing His Word. God said He would bless His Word and would not return void. And God said it's through the foolishness of preaching that God saves the lost and reaches His own people. You know, we need to be praying that God would anoint His Word. You know how I can tell when God anoints His Word? There's a couple of things. When God anoints His Word and God begins to speak to the hearts of the people, you know, it is God who keeps the attention of His people. We have relied on the preacher keeping the attention of the people. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I can't keep people's attention. But when God gets a hold of a congregation, He'll get their attention. Amen? How many of you have ever heard a fellow named by the name of Jonathan Edwards? Anybody? Jonathan Edwards preached back in the late 1700s. And, and you know how he preached? Can I show you how he preached? We are gathered here today 
to. He would read his sermon. And he would read it slowly. He would read it in a very shallow, timid voice. And it would take him forever to read it. And you know what happened? God the Holy Spirit took that man who would read his sermon, who would read it in a monotone voice, who would read it for a long time, and when he got through, there would be a congregation that would literally be shaking in their boots. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit got a hold of what he was saying. Folks, that's what we need today. We need the Holy Spirit to move in such a way that, that the results aren't explained through the personality of the preacher. And the results aren't explained through how loud the preacher preached. And the results are not explained on how dynamic he was, but the results are explained through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me share this illustration. I close. First Sunday I was at Lydia Baptist Church. I gave an invitation one night, so I gave the invitation. I was shocked. Everybody in the congregation came down to pray. I mean, I'd never seen that before. It just blew my mind. I mean, everybody came. All but one little girl. Little girl's about 23, and she stopped in front of me, and she said, Brother Mike, I need to be saved. Could you tell me how to be saved? Yeah, I think I can do that. So I shared with her about Jesus and we had prayer at the altar and she invited Christ into her life. And that night before she left, she said, Brother Mike, can you come down and talk to my husband about being saved? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Went down and talked to her husband. Said, now, Alan, let me share with you what God has to say. And he stopped and said, Brother Mike, said, there's no need to open the Bible. Said, I can't read. Graduate of one of our Texas' finest high schools and couldn't read. So I shared with him just what the Bible had to say. He said, well, that's really neat. I, I, I'll think about it a lot. Okay. Next Sunday, he's in church. Preached to him. Didn't make a move. Next Sunday, preached to him. Didn't make a move. Sunday after that, he came down. He said, Brother Mike, he said, I, I, I need to get saved. And the reason I need to get saved, I've been watching my wife, and there's a real change in her. Her changed life did more than my going and, and, and reading to him. Well, we knelt at the altar and I said, Now, Alan, you need to you know, ask Jesus to save you and, and whatnot. And he said, Well, okay. He said, I'll pray. And, and you know, most folks at the altar, they pray very silently and very quietly, not Alan. Dear God! And he prayed for Jesus to save me. I thought he was going to scare the deacon right there to half to death, you know. And that next week, we were in Wednesday night Bible study, and Alan said, Brother Mike, can I testify? And I go, well, no, I don't. Okay. And this is his testimony. I just want you all to know I got saved last week. And everybody's going, yeah, we heard. Yeah. But he said, Brother Mike, I don't want to offend you in any way, but when you got up to preach, I never heard a word you had to say. I said, well, a lot of folks in our church like that. He said, no. He said, the whole time that you were preaching, God was speaking to my heart. God was telling me I needed to be saved. God was telling me that I needed salvation or I was going to go to hell. The whole time you were preaching. And he said, I just couldn't wait till you get through so I could get saved. That would be neat, wouldn't it? And I learned something that day. Folks, if we're going to have revival, it's not going to come from what I say. It's going to come from God the Holy Spirit taking what is said and anointing it 
and speaking to people's hearts. Folks, these are dark times. They call for revival. And they call for a supernatural moving of God's Holy Spirit. Now folks, if that scares you, you need revival. But we need God to move in our midst again like He's never moved before. And that comes when God speaks and pray. Will God give revival next week if we pray today? He might. It might take two or three months. It might take two or three years. But folks, we need to get so desperate for a move of God that we're not going to quit praying until God moves. That's what we need. Revival.